You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lights up on Washington Heights. Up at the break of day. I wake up and I got this little punk I gotta chase away. Pop the grade at the crack of dawn. Sing while I wipe down the awning. Hey y'all, good morning. Welcome to another episode of Broadway Nation, the podcast that tells the remarkable story of how immigrants, Jews, queers, African Americans, and other outcasts invented the Broadway musical and how they changed America in the process. I'm David Armstrong, and this is the second half of my conversation with Rebecca Applin Warner, who is the author of a new book titled The Musical Theater Composer as Dramatist, A Handbook for Collaboration. If you missed part one, you may want to catch up on that episode before listening to this one. Last time, Rebecca shared some of the fascinating concepts and techniques that can be found in her book in regard to breaking down and analyzing the components of a musical, including its principal and supporting themes, both dramatic and musical, as well as what she calls the shape of the musical overall and of its individual segments and especially how all of that can provide invaluable tools not to just the composer, but to the entire creative team as they develop their musical. As in the previous episode, Rebecca Applin Warner illustrates her concepts using examples from various contemporary musicals, such as In the Heights, Matilda, and The Last Five Years. And finally, in what could be called the 11 o'clock spot of her book and of this episode, she ties all of it together in a case study of the musical Everybody's Talking About Jamie. Whether you're a creator of musical theater or just an ardent fan, I feel certain that you will find this to be a fascinating conversation. Here we go. You mentioned this a moment ago, modes of enunciation, which is another way of looking at it, basically. Mm -hmm. What are these and how do they affect the shape of a musical? So this is another idea by Kofi Agarwu, actually, again, related to classical music that I then thought about in a musical theatre context. Agarwu takes speech mode, song mode and dance mode. So we've just talked about those as literal performance modes, dialogue and song and dance. But he takes them as metaphorical. So a song might be in speech mode or a speech might be in song mode. (laughs) 
And he gives each of them an intention. So speech mode has the intention of delivering information. And song mode has an intention to affect, so to strike us emotionally. And then dance mode has an intention of rhythm and having a sense of rhythmic drive. And involving our own inner rhythms and our own response to that rhythm, physical. Exactly. And so a song in song mode might be something like I'm Still Hurting from the last five years. Jamie is over and Jamie is gone. Jamie's decided it's time to move on. Jamie has new dreams he's building upon. And I'm still something that's really clearly there to affect us. The character is literally singing and also in song mode. But something like Revolting Children, for example, in Matilda, and that's probably in dance mode. We've got a song, but the song itself is in dance mode. It's all about the rhythm. It's all about the drive. It's kind of there to fire us up. And in that instance, create a kind of victorious, celebratory kind of feel. Never again will she get the best of me. Never again. be really helpful as a tool in creating shape and thinking well I want a song there but is the song actually there to affect us in song mode or actually has that song got a purpose that we really need some energy there and some drive and some rhythm it does kind of really affect what you decide to write the character of that music at any one time any other examples of those different modes of enunciation that you want to share with us in the heights starts with what we'd probably call an extended musical sequence
sequence. As so many musicals do, it needs to establish the world, we establish the characters, we establish what it is that's going on at the start of our show, like before the rest of the story unfolds. And so those sequences perhaps are most likely to include all three, like moving between them. And the beginning of In the Heights certainly does that. You've got Usnavi delivering quite a lot of information in speech mode, but then moving into song mode with kind of moments with Vanessa and then the whole community being involved by the end that has a real moment of dance mode that kind of kicks us into the rest of the show out of that opening sequence. So I think opening numbers, opening sequences often navigate through all three modes. Because they have to set up the show, they have to get the exposition out, but at the same time they have to excite us to want to see what's going to come next and to touch us enough that we get involved with the characters in the story, even before they get to, you know, usually the second or third song is often the I Want song where we really get to bond with somebody and feel with them. Yeah, that's it. But as you say, you need a little hint of that at the beginning. You know it's going to come. Exactly. <laughs> it's the promise of what will happen. Yeah. I'm a street light choking on the heat. The world spins around while I'm frozen to my seat. The people that I know all keep on rolling down the street. But every day is different, so I'm switching up the beat. Because my parents came with nothing. They got a little more. Sure, we're poor. But yo, at least we got the store. It's all about the legacy they left with me is destiny. And one day I'll be on the beach with Sonny writing checks to me. Go away, Broadway Nation will be back right after this quick break. And tonight is so far away. But as for my mi bana, you gotta just keep watching. You'll see the late nights, you'll taste beans and rice. You sit up a shave ice. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
So the next third or so of your book, it's interesting, a moment ago, you were talking about the high point, which, you know, of course, in musical theater terms, we have 11 o'clock spot as the idea of the high point of a show is already there. The sort of 11 o'clock spot of your book is this section where you illustrate everything that you've written about so far through the process of breaking down and analyzing and seeing in action all of these techniques in one musical. And the show you chose for that is Everybody's Talking About Jamie. Everybody's talking about Jamie. Everybody's talking about Jamie. Everybody's talking about the boy in the dress who was born to repress. Everybody's talking about the things that he wore. Everybody's listening because we need to know more. Why did you choose that musical? What was it about that show that you thought would help you illustrate these points so clearly? And it works well. I think, as we were talking about earlier, actually, the theme of identity in Jamie being really important, I knew that I wanted to set a kind of broad question for that part of the book that we could focus on as if to help maybe someone who was either analysing a show for an essay or because they were in a show or for some other purpose. You usually come to those things with a sense of question. And so for that question to be about identity felt really relevant at the moment. And I think Jamie has a really important message in that show for our time. So that felt really important. It was also partly about resources because I wanted to make sure that it was as accessible for people to be able to engage with the script and the score and a film version of it and a recording and kind of be able to access all of that as well. To really be able to see and hear what you're talking about. What elements of Jamie particularly demonstrate the role of the musical theatre composer as dramatist? Jamie has a predominantly pop score, which I think is really interesting in this regard, actually, because pop structures are perhaps more block-like often. I know we were talking about building blocks and there's quite a lot of repetition in pop structures. I really loved finding that within those structures, all of these things could still happen. I mean, I love through composed writing as well, but it doesn't have to be that to be able to follow drama. It can all happen within pop structures as well. All of the songs in some way are about Jamie's identity. And I think that so clearly is the score pointing to the universal theme about identity and about Jamie's acceptance of identity. And for me, the show kind of falls into two halves. It's like it's got two high points. One building towards the high point of Jamie's acceptance as me, me, me. Which is the drag personality that he is creating. Yes. And then the second half being about his working through acceptance to himself as Jamie New. The shaping of how that works in each half is absolutely there. It's really interesting. It doesn't mean that Jamie is the only one that sings. It's not obvious that it's all about Jamie's identity, but actually when you break the score down and you look at it, they are like branch themes all pointing in towards that central trunk theme, that universal theme of identity. The modes of enunciation focus on speech and dance mode for quite a lot of the score. There's a clock on the wall and it's moving too slow It's got hours to kill and a lifetime to go And I'm holding my breath till I hear the last bell Then I'm coming out hard and I'm giving them hell 
I'm a superstar and you don't even know it In a wonder bra and you don't even know it You're so blah blah and you don't even know it I'm like au revoir and you don't even know it There's a path I've planned To the promised land You won't understand Cause you're my back in band And it's a Jamie show Cause you're my so so And I'm so slow And I'm go 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 Until towards the end, and particularly found in the songs of Pretty, so Jamie's best friend and Margaret, Jamie's mum, they start to take us into song mode. And I think it's really wonderful how the shaping of that leaves that to this final part of the show, where it all suddenly becomes much more relational and about Jamie in his closest relationships and what that means. It means something that's only yours to give. It means choosing the way you want to live It means wonderful And it means powerful And it means true It means something as perfect as it's pure It means waiting saving of song mode for that section I think it's really wonderful there's a lot of use of characterful orchestration which is brilliant in the film version which I was particularly analysing you get the 80s sound world for This Was Me which of course isn't in the stage version you get kind of nightmarish orchestration techniques in work of art you get hints of military in Over the Top and then you get a really stripped back intimacy for It Means Beautiful which is just such a gorgeous song and so I think the orchestration really tells the story and also just back to the universal theme and the theme of identity I think it's really interesting that sung language in the show is used mostly for positivity about Jamie and Jamie's sense of identity and I think that really helps in the importance of the message so the bully Dean doesn't get to sing the father doesn't get to sing so the negative voices that Jamie has in his life aren't actually given space in the score which is a really important statement I think I thought that was really interesting that you identified that. I think that's unusual. Our first impulse would be, well, we need to balance the two polarities. You need to have the antagonist have his equal weight with the protagonist. But in this case, you think this was a great choice. Why is that? I think because music and song, like we were talking about with intensification, it gives things more weight. When you sing something, you sort of assume it's got importance. And so 
to remove the naysayers, the negative voices from that weight of importance that maybe the score brings, I think is a really important message. It's a really important statement. It's probably working subliminally. We don't necessarily notice that consciously, but I think it's something really meaningful that's there. Because it's reinforcing this central idea that identity is what the show is about and what Jamie's story is about. Exactly. And that acceptance is there in the score right the way through. And it's then Jamie's journey. The score is sort of subliminally affirming him. Yes, exactly. Well, you've come pretty far, but you know where you are home. And the friends that you choose want to walk in your shoes, your home. Any day you feel your sky's falling, look above, see a bright silver lining. Listen up, there's a new freedom calling, calling you to a place where you're shining. Out of the darkness, into the spotlight. There is a new star, shining so bright Out of the darkness, into the spotlight There is a new star, shining so bright So in this case, the composer as dramatist understood this clearly, whether it was consciously or, again, just intuitively, but understood this universal theme Mm -hmm. so well that then he could create a score that would support that and tell that story. Yes, I'm never meaning to imply that the tools and frameworks I use in the book are the tools that have been used for the writing process. I'm sure that's not the case, but they help as a framework to be able to see even what might be there innately. As you say, it probably is an innate process. Or a combination of some analysis and just getting it. Yeah. Which is what I think is so valuable about a book like this is you've put in the thought behind it to identify these processes that are probably going on automatically in the most successful and intuitive of cases, but you identified what it is that's actually happening. They may not even be aware of. Yeah. And for those days when you get stuck and just not feeling inspired, this song's just not working. It's not achieving what we want it to. They're there to reach for. I've been in the room when even the greatest writers just get stuck and just don't know how to move forward. There's a place where we belong. There's a place where we belong And you'll hear us sing our song In this place where we belong The final section of your book is a very practical, hands-on, I guess it's the workbook of the subtitle, a workbook for composers and their teams of collaborators. I'm assuming this is based on exercises that you have put into practice for yourself, possibly with other teams of writers, to see how this works. It is based on ideas from over the years, but the bringing it together in the form in which it is in the book is actually new. So I haven't used it with other people in that full form. I've used the dynamic curve the most with all kinds of groups of people as I say from primary school children doing kind of graphic scores and drawing shapes based on a story and then trying to write music to it and university students writing their own musicals and it's something that I do all the time myself little sketches of what's going on in this moment so the dynamic curve I've used a lot and I find really helpful as a problem solving tool. So do you foresee yourself now that you have shown yourself 
yourself to be an expert in this regard, being called in on projects as a consultant to say, can you help us focus our work on this show that we're about to embark on or in the middle of doing or struggling with? I would love to do that. I would absolutely love it. I'm fortunate to teach on the master's programme in musical theatre writing at Goldsmiths. I love being able to help people develop their work. So yes, I would love to do that. I would think at the university there, you will have that opportunity Mm. since you have those students confronting those problems down the hall, I assume. Yes, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Throughout the book, you emphasize over and over again the intense collaboration that musical theatre requires. What would you say are the most crucial elements that teams need to bring about this successful synthesis of music and drama? I think it's always coming back to the storytelling as key. That really is where, for me, everything builds from that that nucleus of the storytelling. And so that involves continual discussion, really, always drawing it back to the storytelling. Then for me, those two containers of really broadly theme and shape sort of help to then talk about all sorts of things within there. So you've got absolute focus on the storytelling. And then are we all on the same page about what the themes are? And do we know what shape we're trying to create? And then sort of everything else can arise out of those. I think that's absolutely right. I've been interviewing several authors over the last several months about various aspects of Rodgers and Hammerstein. And what comes out is that the weeks and months that they spent talking about the show before either one of them started to write anything. Definitely. By the time they started writing, they were on the same page. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, they had the advantage that Oscar Hammerstein was doing two of the jobs himself. So obviously the lyrics and the book are in sync with one another from the beginning. But Rodgers is right there on that same page. And they they were both responsible for the story, and that's what they worked out or at least talked about in depth prior to sitting down to write to put a note on the page. Yeah, that's it. We're all storytellers. So thank you, Rebecca Applin Warner, for being my guest today on Broadway Nation to talk about your new book, The Musical Theatre Composer as Dramatist. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. So get up when you're down, because this homecoming crown has come home. Took the long way around, but I'm home. You and me got a song that we're singing. You and me got a drum that we're drumming. Listen up to the changes we're ringing. Nothing's going to stop us from coming. Broadway Nation is made possible in part through the generous support of our patrons, including our newest patrons, Anne Welsh and Mark Stanton. If you too would like to help support the work of this podcast, here's how you can do it. A donation of just $7 a month will not only keep Broadway Nation out of the darkness, it will also provide you with exclusive access to the complete unedited versions of many of the interviews you hear on this podcast as well as outtakes and additional content created exclusively by Albert Evans and I, especially for our patrons. And all patrons will receive special shout-outs and acknowledgement for your vital support for this podcast. To join, simply go to broadwaynationpodcast.supercast.tech. That's broadwaynationpodcast.supercast.tech. Or click the link in the show notes to this episode. Broadway Nation is written and produced by me, 
David Armstrong. Special thanks to Pals Mox for his help with editing this episode and to the entire team at the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.